Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. On this week's episode, I interviewed Steve Barber. Steve, if you know him, he is, uh, he is the founder of Upstream Data, and he also invented the black box. If you've seen that, uh, it's for good for, for uh, mining. It mitigates the noise and, and uh, also uh, just a, a superb design to be able to uh, have the airflow running um, and, and keep everything nice and cool um, while also mitigating the noise. So um, Upstream, uh, you got to check them out, upstreamdata.ca. Um, and they have a ton of stuff. You can buy your ASICs there. Um, but yeah, it was great to have Steve on because he is big and obviously in the mining uh, world. And with you guys knowing that I'm doing my own home mining, um, I had questions for him. But it was also fun because I got to learn about his you know, Bitcoin origin story uh, and, and how he got into it and how he got into the mining and, and everything like that. And then we even talked a little bit about like the Texas grid, uh, if you've seen that in the news how the Texas grid, uh, you know, is being stressed at the moment because of uh, the heat. And so different Bitcoin miners are shutting down to allow that excess uh, energy to go to homes. Um, that, and then we talk about, hey, what happens whenever uh, there are no more Bitcoin to be mined? Uh, how does the mining incentive continue to work in that direction? So I uh, hope you guys enjoy this one. It was a blast. And we're also bringing on Upstream um, for my show as a sponsor. So really appreciate them. Um, and that kind of just happened organically after we uh, after we did this interview. Um, so, you know, shout out to Upstream. And I will be getting more info for you guys uh, on their stuff in the future. But uh, also shout out to the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet from shift crypto go to shiftcrypto.ch slash bitcoin made simple and use the promo code bitcoin made simple to get five percent off and get yourself a bitcoin hardware wallet and you get that bitbox you put your keys and your coins off of the exchange you take them off the exchange put them on your wallet please do that it is a matter of your own financial security so do that and also movies plus mymoviesplus.com Use the promo code SWAN and you'll get 20 per, you'll get a year of Bitcoin for $20. And there's tons of Bitcoin content and hard money is up there now. You can watch hard money every week on uh, on our app, on our website, wherever you want, uh, on your you know, Roku, on your Apple TV, on your Android streaming device, wherever it is, you can watch the show on the big screen. And uh, we have tons of other content going up there. I just watched the Jordan Peterson doc, the rise of Jordan Peterson. Um, so yeah, it's not too bad for, uh, for 20 bucks, you get a year of ad free content and we are adding stuff at a rapid pace. So yeah, uh, promo code SWAN and uh, thanks to SWAN Bitcoin for doing this cross promotion with us. Without that being, with all that being said, I hope you guys enjoy this. Reach out to me, Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or would like me to address anything in the show. And I will talk to you guys later. So I'll have to go to stash school, I guess, and figure out how to get a stash uh, like the one that you have. Uh, but is, did you start the trend in Bitcoin to, to have people start getting stashes? Well, I sure hope so. Uh, I don't really know. Um, I don't know if I did. I, I certainly contributed to it. There's, I, I've only seen the trend actually in Bitcoin mining. I haven't really seen the trend elsewhere. Uh, there's a lot of, in my circle, there's, uh, it sort of became a little meme uh, between some people, but I can't say I've seen it catch on. But more recently, when Top Gun came out, it seems like everyone's getting stashes. So, yeah. 
They get so to start now, wearing short shorts again. And well, now my friends that see me and haven't seen me in a while, and because I never used to have a mustache a couple years ago, they're like, "Oh, you're doing the Top Gun thing." I'm like, "No, man, I was I was doing this way before Top Gun." So Top Gun's doing the Steve Barber thing. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, <laughs> you. I, I like friend. it. I like it. We need more stashes in in society. Yeah, shaving is a is a is a sign of fiat oppression. Uh, so we must let our uh, our faces go untamed. No, I agree. I agree. If, like I said beforehand, if I could grow a better beard, I'd probably I'd probably have a beard like three times a year, and then like get tired of it, and then shave it, and you know, I'd mix it up because that's just how I am. But uh, anyways, um, so uh, so Steve, tell me a little bit about your background in, in Bitcoin and how you got started. Uh, you know, what what brought you down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and brought you to where you are today? Uh I was, I think really where I like, I vaguely remember how I got into Bitcoin. I know it was through Reddit for sure. Uh, that was in 2016. And I mean, I'd heard about it before then, but I think I was fundamentally, like I recall back in say 2014 uh, and I was always interested in computer science. I was very close to doing computer engineering. I ended up doing mechanical engineering instead. And I was, I remember actually, even if I go further back in engineering school, I started in 2011 studying and I remember I had a crypt, uh, cryptography, uh, uh, a professor that did a, a electrical engineering. He taught us electrical engineering, but he's really into cryptography and I, I'll never forget that class he did. He just did a little intro to cryptography for us, just like for, for our interest. And, uh, it was before we chose our disciplines. I ended up choosing mechanical. But I remember that class, I was intrigued by his uh, discourse on cryptography. And this was 2011. So I, I'm sort of wondering, I always wondered after the fact, I was like, man, if I had my time back and I did, I decided to go electrical and do the cryptography angle or computer engineering with cryptography uh, sort of focus, who knows? I might've got into Bitcoin super early and got super rich, but I never did. I uh, went through, I went to do mechanical um, and I know that when I started working in, uh, I, well, when I was working and I was at a big oil company in Canada, at least uh, Husky oil, mm -hmm. I was very, uh, concerned about bureaucracy, um, in the workplace. Like it was a company and this is common throughout, um, and this will all tie into Bitcoin here in a second, but mm -hmm bureaucracy in major corporations is common it's a common theme like you mean obviously bureaucracy bureaucracy in the healthcare system i just saw a meme the other day about how the administrative side of of healthcare has gotten out of hand in terms of how the administrative side of healthcare has grown exponentially while the physicians like the actual the actual uh, medicine healthcare practitioners hasn't grown near as much. And it, so the, so that's a measure of bureaucracy. It's just the administrative overhead uh, behind, you know, a business's function. And I noticed like, I noticed this at Husky when I was working at this big oil company and we're all in our little cubicles, like little rats, uh, you know, pa pushing paper. And like, you know, it was really frustrating because like we weren't given any uh, responsibility, given very little uh, responsibility, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, very little control over, uh, decision-making, uh, and when, 
and, and, and I sort of started studying, like I was looking up bureaucracy, like what is causing this? Like, why is this big company unable to make a, a simple decision on anything? And every, every decision had to be by committee. It would be like dozens of people. Every proposal I would bring to the table as a young engineer looking to improve like, you know, our facilities would go through so many steps of approval. Nothing would ever get done. So I started becoming fascinated with bureaucracy, like what is uh, causing this? And I ended up going down this rabbit hole uh, and sort of figured it was, it has to do with accountability and lack of accountability in corporations. And I kept going down the rabbit hole um, where I've, I've started believing it was all rooted, like the fact that bureaucracy is so systemic throughout society that it was rooted in money printing uh, because money printing is really what's, uh, you know, this cheap capital from money printing is propping up these businesses. Uh, they basically, you know, businesses don't have to be accountable because they just refinance, refinance, get bailed out, get bailed out. I mean, we could cite a million examples of companies that should not be around today, but they keep getting bailed out. And they're the most bureaucratic of all. Like, uh, I mean, I'll just like some examples in Canada, Air Canada. Air Canada is basically it's private or it's public company, but it's really a state-owned company, uh, almost an oligopoly on in Canada here on the airline side. And that company, like Air Canada, has gone bankrupt like dozens of times, like in my lifetime. <laughs> and it's the worst operating airline you'll ever see. It's so bureaucratic, it's so much overhead, it's so much administration, and it, it, that's just like a pristine example of this how this bureaucracy is uh, is allowed to live through bailouts and money printing. So that got me onto money printing. That's, I think that was how I got in down the path of hating money printing. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then I became a gold bug. I was starting to like get into gold, finding out where I can buy gold and stack my own gold, like, like physical gold. Cause I was also reading about the history of gold confiscation and gold notes, et cetera. And then, then I, that, I think it was through that. I believe it was through my gold bug interests that all stem from bureaucracy uh, that I got, that I started seeing uh, people talking about Bitcoin. And then Bitcoin, of course, is like gold uh, 2.0, you know, it's like gold on steroids. So started getting into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that the bureaucracy end is what really drove you. Cause I think bureaucracy drives me nuts. Uh, and I think it drives a lot of us Bitcoiners nuts. I always reference Ron Swanson as who I identify with politically um, you know, if there's one political candidate, but I just remember the episode where he, he got brought into the, uh, budget slashing meeting where like he was, and they were like, could you help uh, slash the government budgets and like all the bureaucracy? And it was just like the best day of his life. Um, cause yeah, you look at yeah. all these, these companies that are just stuffed with like so many, like a thinking about even somebody said, what company was it? It was like, uh, one of the small like tech or social media companies had like 7,000 employees. I mean, not small, but like a, you know, a decent, you know, not Twitter, but somebody else. And they had 7,000 employees. And it's like, what in the world are 7,000 people doing at this company? Like for something that could be managed, you know, like, I mean, I know Netflix, I'm, I'm in the movie business is my background. And like, you know, Netflix has like this massive debt and like overhead that's just through the roof. And it's like, it doesn't really take that much to run a streaming platform. Like it could be done a little bit leaner, you know, I bet it can. And I think it, uh, a lot of, a lot of companies start out. Um, 
I mean, my company started really lean off a, well, off my personal, like personal uh, savings, but I grew the company off pure, almost exclusively off pure, like just lean uh, operation and, and building and selling, building and selling. And uh, there that, you know, you can contrast that kind of startup entrepreneur growth path to um, what you commonly see, which is a startup, a group of people uh, maybe pitching uh, their startup and then getting financed, like getting uh, some kind of initial capital injection. And it, um, it enables them to, and depending on how they end up, you know, continuing to grow. And a lot of these companies, you know, the whole goal is to keep refinancing, but it can immediately from day one. So lots of seeds of uh, inefficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like um, maybe through, through necessity, I've had to be very anti-bureaucratic at my company and very lean. Um, but even now, like as we've been growing, uh, it's really, I can see it, like it's really easy for that this administration, administrative creep, like this bureaucrat- bureaucratic creep to come in, especially as we grow and we're like implementing more safety, uh, like actual safety policy and other things like I could go on, but like, uh, I can see it already like slowly growing in my company and I'm trying to make sure I stamp it out uh, everywhere I can before it becomes like too much of a problem, like mm-hmm. too much of an overhead. Um, yeah, no, I hear you on that because I mean, like, so what I, I own a streaming platform now and we're, you know, growing, but uh, um, it's like, I still handle like HR customer service, like parts of customer service payroll. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you keep it lean and and I can see that too. I'm probably a little bit bef- like our company is probably a little bit younger than your than upstream is, but like I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I'm forecasting in the future, and I'm like, you know, I can see because immediately it's like, okay, you hire a couple people, and then it's like, well, I need you know this person to do this, and it's like, well, I get yeah, I mean, I guess we could afford it, so let's do it, and um, and that's where you get into trouble. Um, so I'm trying to actively, uh, you could probably write a, write a class or, you know, do a class on that for entrepreneurs because, um, you know, it's something that people don't really talk about. Um, and so before we get into how like upstream and everything got going, um, how do you get into mining? Uh, well, that, that was pretty simple for me. Cause once I got, so in that uh, time frame when I was getting into bureaucracy gold and then into Bitcoin. And by the time I got into Bitcoin in the way, in the, in the sense that, you know, not just hearing about it, but actually studying it, that was 2016. I started studying it in the summer and I got interested in it, uh, for a, for the, the, I saw it as, you know, sound money, number one, that was immediately what caught my eye. And then as soon as I, you know, it was very quick that I started being interested in mining because mining is more, up my alley. I mean, I'm a engineer by trade. So, you know, energy systems is effectively what the oil and gas industry is about upstream oil production. And I was building and working in that, in in the upstream industry, uh, uh, producing oil wells and building facilities around producing and optimizing oil wells. And that's sort of my specialty is optimizing oil wells. And so Bitcoin mining was like, oh, this is really interesting. It's very like mining Bitcoin is very comparable to producing an oil well. Um, it's, it's got a, a lot of similarities. And so that would, that interests me first. Uh, just the fact that it, it's sort of something I, the kind of thing I like to learn about anyway. And then, 
you know, immediately I, I just said, I just realized like, well, Bitcoin mining actually solves the oil and gas issue of uh, stranded energy, stranded natural gas. So that would be uh, stranded and wasted natural gas, I should say. So wasted, especially. So like venting and flaring, excuse me, and then stranded uh, gas that's just maybe not at the sufficient volume or a reliability or whatever to reach the market like the stuff that's out there that's just sitting at upstream wells that are distributed mm-hmm. so, so that's what got you and forgive me if i i don't think i realized this but did you you started um so you upstream was originally just oil and gas and that was your own company and then no. you started no. that, okay no, upstream data was started specifically to build Bitcoin mines for upstream oil and gas companies. Gotcha. At the time I had an, I still have actually, I still operate another company. It's, it's just, a, it's, it's really actually just an IP company. I designed stuff through that company and patented it and licensed it, but it's, um, it's for downhole. It's for oil, oil and gas tools. Mm. So I still do that, but that's what I was doing before upstream. And then, mm. uh, just saw that opportunity with upstream too, because nobody was really building uh, bit portable Bitcoin mines and natural gas generators and, and the whole packages for upstream oil and gas industry. So I started uh, down that path because didn't seem like anyone was serving that market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so that's where I guess the black box origins came from. Cause um, I'll, I'll give you a little background on my mining. So I, I had ordered my uh, miner before I ordered it before uh, the conference and it was like on the way to my house while I was at the conference. And uh, you were on like the open source stage or whatever with Marty Bent and them. And, and I popped in there and, and you started talking about mining and you said, well, you're like, however loud you think it is, it's louder. And however <laughs> much heat you think it produces, it's, it's hotter. And I was like, uh all right well i'm sure i'll be fine um and you know like we it can't be that loud he's just you know he's just you know saying that and uh got home got it all set up and i plugged it in and i was like oh my god um you know it's the what's minor m30s plus plus 110 tera hash and nice that's the best model on the market in my opinion yeah yeah i agree actually adam um, was the person that, you know, I was going back and forth with him and Hoddle Tarantula where uh, like the people I was at, said, if I'm going to get one, what should I get? And uh, they both recommended that. So I figured if they know, if they know, then I should go with that. But, um, but they, uh, yeah, it was so loud that like I immediately, and now granted our new house is decent size. So we're spread out and I have it down in the boiler room, like tucked away in the back corner in the basement and I could hear it like the first night I went into my, like the master bedroom and I could hear it. I was like, son of a bitch. Like, Oh man. Like, cause I'm just thinking my wife's probably laying there. Like just like stewing, you know, like I yeah, can't I believe bet. he bought this machine. I can't <laughs> believe it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so she, she waited probably like two days where she didn't like say anything, but I could feel like her eyes like burning into the back of my head and anytime like you could i mean because anywhere in the house you could hear it and um yeah and then so finally i just after a couple days i said so it's um it's louder than i thought it would be 
And she was like, yeah. Um, so since then, I've bumped it down to low power mode. Um, and I'm kind of testing that out for noise, first of all. But then um, I think Rob actually said, um, Rob Warren, that uh, that he has a buddy that swears by that being a better uh, return on a, a ROI. So I'm kind of just mapping that out now to see what that looks like. And then I'm going to kick it back up. But anyways, all that being said, the black box is like a lifesaver. And, um, you know, I if I, I don't think I can fit it in my basement, but I definitely will probably be a customer eventually. Um, and, and it's not meant for the basement. It's meant to be put outside. That's what mm -hmm. it's funny. I see people because you might know we also showed people how to build their own. Mm -hmm. and you can build it out of like maybe less than like 150 bucks of material mm -hmm. just a bunch of sweat equity and they work really well uh the plywood version um but uh yeah it's designed for outside because that's what i that was a whole intent um and i know not everyone can just park it outside especially you know it depends on your neighbor situation and your security situation people don't want to put it outside but uh, i mean that's sort of what like uh, like what we specialize in what i specialize in personally to do all i do all the like high level design of all of our stuff and then me and my staff work together to fine tune it mm. but that's what we do for a living is is build bitcoin mines for outdoor very harsh conditions and that was exactly what i had in the mind in mind for the black box and then we actually just well this week are launching our bigger versions which is actually the original intent uh we built the home one uh, first because it just the market was so uh, frothy for it they wanted it um, but it, like the bigger versions are more like semi-industrial scale like they're mm -hmm. 20 to 40 kilowatt per box like 6 to 12 miners per box you could still run them uh, in a small commercial space but the whole point of them is to put them outside not have like put them outside so it's safe like in a steel box uh quiet so you can have it in like a commercial or even a residential area if that's if you have enough power to power it uh, or industrial put, uh, area as well you don't have to cut apart uh, your building and put fans in the building or build a custom structure on site mm -hmm. you know um which is like i think a lot of people are finding now uh they're gonna see and they're seeing more and more over time that you build these brick and mortar bitcoin mining facilities you put all this money into it and then your power rates go up and it's no longer feasible and you shut down and liquidate everything, but you burned and sunk all that money into your facility. Uh, that's been happening uh, more and more as energy prices are going up. Uh, so, you know, we've always promoted, like, don't build, don't build a new brick and mortar facility. Don't build, uh, don't retrofit your building. Uh, just drop in a portable unit. And if things, if things change and you can't, it's no longer feasible to run, you just sell the whole thing and you recover. Mm -hmm. Uh, most of your investment yeah yeah that makes sense because i'm actually in the process of uh setting up a couple uh on i mean they're business things that are coming together where i i know some stranded gas and i'm in western pennsylvania so we have tons of uh stranded natural gas around us and um and uh yeah so i got put in touch with people and they're like yeah we got these wells you know you can just plop in and plug in. So now I'm like in the process of the early stages of raising the capital. Um, but yeah, it's just like, we were looking at it and it's like, yeah, no, I think we just contact 
upstream, get some hash huts and mm-hmm. plug them in, you know, like plop them there, you know, obviously put a fence around it, like, you know, stuff like that and like some security, but yeah, exactly. Like you said, cause what if, you know, in four or five years, if we have to leave that spot or even less, you know, like you can't take the building with you, but you can take the hash hut with you. Yeah. So yeah. And, the and even the, we just, we're bringing our new version of our hash hut to Miami and mining disrupt here at the end of the month. And we, we even just, uh, the black boxes worked so well. Uh, cause you know, when I, when I first like teased it back in August of last year, uh, when it sort of organically became a thing from Twitter, uh, Twitter mm-hmm. posts, probably a lot of people feedback. like me with wives sitting there going, can you get this thing quieter? Yeah. Yeah. So be, Building something quiet was a big thing. The hash hut isn't like our hash huts aren't necessarily designed to be quiet, though we do have attachments that make them quiet. But actually, I was going to say the black box. One thing I wasn't sure about with how was how is it going to work? A through the winter and B through the summer. You know, winter cold, winter snow, mm-hmm. and and summer heat. Uh, those are two of the extremes that you know a Bitcoin mine has to build a bear, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of people's designs do not bear it because um, there's a lot of new entrants on the market and they simply don't work, mm-hmm. um, especially in snow. Snow is funny enough; everyone talks about heat, but snow is way worse to deal with than heat. Heat is just at worst downtime. Snow is catastrophic failure. So, mm-hmm. uh, I have my black box, the prototype, running all winter. And I made sure to do that and, and show people how it worked before we shipped them their units because I was willing to refund every, everybody if we had any uh, winter failures. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any winter failures after many snowfalls. So I felt comfortable like this is an actual good product for winter. And then uh, the summer was still the unknown. So I wasn't really sure how these would work this summer. My own personal black box, I have S19 in it and a Watts Miner M30 in it. Mm-hmm. And the more I've learned about both products, like Bitmain's product and Watts Miner, mm-hmm. the more I'm realizing that Watts Miner is better in every single way. Uh, I'm I am comfortable saying that it's better designed, um, but and just my own experience with it, not just with our company, but me personally at my house, that Watts Miner has never gone down for any reason. Mm-hmm. I've had the S19 go down a few times now. Uh, Sometimes I don't look at why I just unplug it, plug it back in. It's back up and running. But mm-hmm. um, generally it's probably like a, a bit of a hot streak in town here. And it, it shuts down on temps and just idles forever. Uh, whereas the Watts miner just is just like bulletproof. It just never stops. Mm. And some of our customers have run these uh, Watts miners in really ridiculous conditions. Like they put their black box in their shed and it's not ventilating very well and it's running like 120 degree ambient and the, and the Watts miners are still churning along. No problem. Wow. It's crazy. Um, but the, I'm excited actually how well the black boxes work. Cause, uh, uh, it does a, a good job with sound attenuation, which is one of the goals. But, uh, the, the big thing was without external fans, like, or I call it active cooling, like active fans helping the miners, you know, it's questionable how well it'd run in hot weather mm-hmm. and they've run so well in hot weather. Uh, I actually poured it over that idea to our hash huts. Um, and we're not the first to do passive cooling by any means in like a container. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, what I learned from that, I poured it over to our hash huts, which we're showing off in Miami, uh, at the end of July. And we have one running right now and it's, it's quite 
it's running quite well at quite a high power density. So we're pretty excited. Without any internal, without any supplemental fans for the... No fans. It's just the ASICs all working uh, to move their own, cool themselves. So it's all about sealing. You have to make sure it's all the hot and cold aisle is very well sealed. Mm-hmm. And that filtration and exhaust is very well breathable, let's say. Like mm-hmm. uh, they're not restricted on either filtration or, or discharge. The Pitbox O2 hardware wallet. The Pitbox O2 hardware wallet. Can I say that louder? Or maybe I should say that louder, but we say the quiet parts out loud here on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Um, and I recommend you get a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Why? Because I don't know. Have you looked around and seen Celsius and other exchanges and places going insolvent? Um, we've been saying for a long time that uh, the exchanges are rehypothecating your Bitcoin, and you better believe it. So the only way to secure your wealth is to get a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet from Shift Crypto. Go to shiftcrypto.ch/bitcoinmadesimple and use the promo code Bitcoin Made Simple to get five percent off. And I'm just telling you guys for your own sake, please do it. It is the easiest, simplest way. The firmware is secure. It's been tested. It's open source. And it is a very nice looking, it looks like a little thumb drive. You plug it in. It's a touch screen, easy to use. So easy that even a caveman could do it uh, to steal the Geico line. But honestly, if I can use it with these, so can you. So I strongly recommend the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Go to shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin Made Simple and use promo code Bitcoin Made Simple to get 5% off. In, in letter discharge. Okay. So, um, I mean, in, if for people that haven't done it before, haven't like even seen a miner in person, like they move a lot of air. It's amazing how much air goes through there. And um, yeah, so you have to, you know, not choke it off is what I'm learning. Um, what kind of advice do you have for someone that, you know, so I have, I have the one miner to start and as I expand, I want to I'll, like anything else has probably got to go outside. So obviously that's where I'd, you know, be going the, the black box route, but I do want to keep one inside because I do want to heat my house with it. Um, so for noise mitigation, keeping it inside, cause I thought about, I looked at, you know, Rob sent, you know, that uh, like his article on when he did, you know, you're you had the whole plan laid out. And and I've told people, too, when I when I mentioned that I'm considering building one, just I think it'd be fun. Like I like t- tinkering, you know what I mean? Like it's not that I don't want to buy one. It's just it's like, oh, let me build one and see how horribly I do it. And then I'll then I'll go get one. <laughs> but um, but it, you know, and, and to be clear, like uh the most bitcoiners are are that way like they want to do it yourself so we built the product it's going to be more it's more for the industrial side and mm-hmm. and that's why we wanted to help people build their own because it's, mm-hmm. it's like there's no way uh we can offer yeah it's not necessarily product. for the individual miner yeah. yeah yeah but it um it uh it definitely like i, I started thinking about the plywood because i was telling people i you know in the i think in my last podcast i telling people that are you know getting into mining i said it's actually the whole sheet like you guys have the you know the eight by four sheet or whatever and you have all the cuts laid out and everything and i took that to home depot and i said like could you do these cuts you know because in theory i could do it at home but like i do need it cut into pieces to get into my suv it's not an eight by four is not even going to fit in my suv so like could you do it and they were like yeah we could do it you know like they're like just you know 
give us the measurements and we'll cut it up for you. So I was like, that's, that's a huge barrier there where people that maybe are afraid of it. I'm, I would cut it at home, but I was like, if they're going to do it for me, then I might as well. Um, but then I started wondering, so with like plywood and everything, what about the fire safety part of it? That was one of my concerns. Um, there is none. <laughs> there is no fire safety. No, no. Like honestly, mining at home is uh, that's one of the problems is fire safety very much so because you're it's not just uh the miner catching fire it's electrical cable mm-hmm. it's you know a lot of people that are willing to be do-it-yourself miners or also tend to be do-it-yourself electricians mm-hmm. and there's a bit of a problem there because uh some people cut corners size the wrong cable tie in the panel improperly i mean mm-hmm. there's been people that have had fires at home uh, which is why, you know, our, the box we build is steel. So if you have a fire in the box, it's hopefully uh, fully contained. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, the do-it-yourself box uh, is just for people. Like, that's why, like, Rob, I think he aligned his with some stuff mm-hmm. uh, to try to make it a little bit fire resistant. Um, some, I've seen some people spray it with stuff. I've seen, like, Adam, our other sales guy, uh he like coated his in this like black tar or something to keep it <laughs> weatherproof. Uh, so we just showed people how to build one and then what materials you use and how you change our design for it is up to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it absolutely like our commercial product, we call it fire resistant um, because it's, it's really well contained. And I've listen, man, we've had a lot of ASICs catch fire in the field, like, uh, mm-hmm. especially with these knockoff, like cheap Chinese PSUs that, that aren't, uh, OEM that mm-hmm. aftermarket stuff. We've had a lot of, uh, fires uh, from those. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one of those things like, uh, yeah, home mining, uh, you do gotta, you know, like if, if you're a father and some kid or mother and some kid out there is wanting to mine at home, you you know, that's great, but you better make sure someone looks over what they're planning on doing. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have it like in the middle of the boiler, which is like, you know, basically a cement room and I have it on a metal, I have it on like a metal, you know, like, like a, a uh, a shelf that would be in like the shop, you know, just like a metal shelf. Cause I was Mm -hmm. like, if something happens here, it's not touching anything flammable. And yeah. obviously the ASIC will shut down. And that's what you should do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and remember, like the black box is not meant to be indoors. Uh, that was one of the main reasons that my, the home mining product we built was for outdoors. We don't want our customers mining inside the house because mm-hmm. if our product has a fault or our instructions are bad or whatever, and it were just the fact that these are high powered machines and over time, some cables degrade or whatever, and they catch fire. Uh, if it's outdoors and separated from your home, well, it's no big deal. Yeah. Uh, it's not, it's still a big deal, but it's not as big a deal. Mm-hmm. So I did the same thing when I started mining in 2016, when I, when I was preparing to start my company and I was learning about mining, I put my S9 on a steel shelf, very well segregated from anything that could catch fire. And I was very concerned about it. And my wife was extremely concerned about it. I was, I was like, okay, like it's, it's good enough. Mm-hmm. And she, she was like nervous about it and not just the noise, but the fire hazard. She's very nervous about that. I guess you could install a sprinkler system too, <laughs> you know? 
Oh yeah, yeah. You could go to no end, uh, some kind of electronic fire suppression, but yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, I mean, I feel pretty confident because it's down where the furnace is, and you know, that's you, any more any concern unless I'm being stupid and like putting it on carpet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just, but the the room itself is like eighty degrees, like at least. Um, I haven't even like measured it, but it's it's pretty warm in there. Um, but it doesn't. You must get... be ventilating it though. I'm actually not. Like, I mean, I guess maybe ninety at the most. But it, I th- I think because I was curious. I'm like, I wonder if this is going to make my AC run like crazy, and it's not. But I think because let me just give you. You don't know what my house looks like, but the geography is that wall. It's like the back corner of the house. And right above it is a laundry room that is attached to the garage. And the garage is like a side garage, not, you know, underneath the house. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure the heat is escaping out there. Um, <laughs> it probably is. Yeah. Because it, yeah. it, it's not going into the house. That's for sure. Like the laundry room floor is a little warm. Um, like it feels like a heated floor kind of. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I, the garage is pretty warm. Like I know it's a summertime, so the garage is going to be warm, but it's warmer than I think it should be. And I I have a feeling that's where it's going. So, okay. So that, yeah, definitely. If you're going to make a box, put it outside and don't put it indoors. I think so. I think so. Because it's not a huge advantage of what we designed for indoors. I mean, it does do a bit of sound attenuation, Mm -hmm. but if you do the do it yourself, you're not getting the fire safety. Uh, so you're, unless you do it in a way that you built in that fire safety. Um, but there's all kinds of ways people have done it for indoor use, like using tubs or old coolers or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, ours is designed specifically to put outside is really the goal. Cause Mm -hmm. I, I honestly don't want to build a product for mining inside for people's homes. It's just, to me, it's too, if it's one in a million that catches fire and kills a family, that's too many for me. So yeah. we're not going to, we don't market it for indoors. Yeah, no, that's, that's smart. And yeah, if you're, if you're doing your mining in, in the house, unless you're doing it, like I have it on a steel shelf that, you know, is not, it's pretty, I mean, it's in the middle of the room. I didn't even put it near anything. Cause I was like, I don't want, and I have a fan. I actually have a regular like 18 inch fan behind it, just blowing air to try and keep it circulate yeah Yeah. just just to make it go um so all right so now come winter time uh is it am i well oh before so since building your own box around it like i thought about with the shelf i was like maybe i could attach like sides to it and you know do that but i mean it still makes me nervous but I've heard that attaching inline fans helps mitigate the noise. Is it like a pretty significant? Uh, I've seen people attach like automotive filters on the in, in the intake of a miner. Uh, the duck fans alone, like inline duck fans shouldn't really help much with the noise unless mm-hmm. you're doing uh, the, when the ones I've seen in, you know, the home mining wizards telegram group, uh, that is going pretty strong. There's a lot of people that talk about what they do. And I've seen a lot of guys like run uh, ducts and other things. Uh, and then some other things to try to attenuate noise, but you're not going to get a lot of attenuation unless you really enclose it in something proper. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and that is the challenge i mean but if you add uh i mean the black box was designed to attenuate it without requiring secondary fans mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a different story if you're using secondary fans you you could do it all kinds of different ways um but we wanted to do something with no fans uh, just fanless mm -hmm. make it really simple and it also for us as a commercial uh manufacturer like we i didn't want to certify have to certify a package with like electrical certification. So I just built a box and it's up to the user to install it and use it as recommended. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, yeah, and inline fans, I see a lot of guys doing that. It, it'll help with noise because if you overcome the, if you put more CFM through it than what it would normally suck on its own, then those, its own fans will slow down. Mm -hmm. And that's why it, it's, it, that would the only reason really why an inline fan would help. Okay. Um, and then as far as heating the house, my plan for the winter time is to basically get like a, an eight inch duct that I can plug in. I can put right into my HVAC system, like mm -hmm. right after the blower. Um, and just have, I think crypto cloaks has like an attachment mining can... pants yeah mining pants yep yeah and um... well one thing is like you just want to think that through in the sense that uh i don't know if you want to put it after the blower because that's the high pressure side of the system you're going to want to uh you're going to want to put it on the low pressure side so it's you don't want the unless you're putting an inline fan as well you just don't want the computer pushing against the static pressure oh so. you mean the static pressure of the house well, yeah, the, the discharge side of a blower will be higher pressure than the inlet side. So you, you wouldn't want to push it into the discharge side because you're going to be fighting that pressure. Oh, so you'd, if you put it on the intake, like right before it gets sucked down into the, uh, yeah. the heater, that'll be better because it'll, it's not fighting anything. It's getting pulled with the other air. Yeah. I mean, you still have to review on your own, your own setup, but like um, you just got to be careful of that you don't want to push it. You don't want the, or so you, you certainly don't want the computer itself pushing against a high static pressure. Okay. All right. So that, and it won't lose too much heat having to go down and through the blower, you think? Uh, honestly, uh, I can't really speak to your setup, but yeah, as long as it's not escaping somewhere, no, it shouldn't. And have you, uh, have you heated your house with, with your miners? Uh, no. Um, well, one, I'm in Alberta. We have natural gas heating mm. and it's very cheap. Our natural gas is very cheap or, I mean, it's not, it's getting more expensive, but it traditionally is very cheap. I find that if people have electrical heating, that's where it starts to make a lot more sense because you're already using electricity uh, to heat your home or maybe you have expensive heating oil or, or other um, expensive heating. And then it starts to make more sense for me. It just wasn't a big economic use case for it. But then again, I'm, I'm not interested in recuperating the heat. I'm, I'm interested in re rejecting the heat to atmosphere and, mm -hmm. and getting the box safely outside, sound outside, uh, everything outside. Yeah, yeah, uh, that makes sense. A guy could jerry-rig it and, and have the heat plumb back in, or you could, I could bring the box indoors or some way. Like, for example, I'll probably bring the box into my garage in the winter 
and mm-hmm. at least have a heated garage because it gets very cold in Alberta. So, <laughs> yeah, Alberta's. I'm a, I'm a hockey player. I played hockey through college, so I I know I know what a Canadian winter is like. And Alberta's no joke. That, uh... No, <laughs> no, it's not. Um. Okay. So, yeah, I think I'm gonna, and I mean, I'm pretty sure that this one miner is gonna significantly. We have electric heat. So I'm like, it's going to, it's going to cut down on our electric bill. I'm positive because just the amount of heat that comes off of it. I'm like, our house is probably gonna be pretty toasty. If your heat's electric, it starts to make a ton of sense because all that heat you're using um, could be completely offset because you're paying that rate anyway, whether it's in a miner or in your, in a resistor. So Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, might as well. Yeah, I think for those, those are where you definitely, and that's why I like to see like, uh, you know, we're not interested right now anyway, at building a product for heat recuperation. Um, but there are a lot of people out there doing it. So like some people have some cool products that are, they're trying to do, you know, like off the shelf, you buy it. And instead of like you, the end user having to figure out how to put it in your HVAC system or whatever, mm-hmm. like it's just a bolt on. Yeah. It's just something that you can, I mean, you know, why wouldn't you, you know, I, I had Michael uh, Schmid on that is doing the water heater. And, yeah. um, and you know, we were talking about it, saying like the business opportunity of being able to walk into a Lowe's or Home Depot and somebody's walking in to buy a water heater. And it's like, well, instead of buying this water heater, just, you know, you take this one and, you know, you basically get a percentage of the hash, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it, you get your water heated for free. Plus it makes money. You know, and, yeah. and I said, I was like, you could break, this is how you would break Mark Cuban. So maybe this is something that you should do for upstream, but invent something like that. That's like off the shelf. You can get it and it's immediately profitable and it heats your house. Cause you could go in and to like shark tank pitch it. And then they'd be like, this is unbelievable. How does it work? And be like, well, it's a Bitcoin miner, you know, and like, you know, Mark, Mark's head would explode on, on yeah. TV and, um, Maybe I would, I would, uh, I know it won't be me doing that. Um, cause I see people like, uh, the gentleman you just mentioned and others coming up with really good ideas mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, everyone's limited to their own time and I only have so much time to do so much. So yeah. I want to leave that market for, uh, people better, ca- you know, better suited and more capable of executing. I know that if I went on shark tank though, I wouldn't accept any of their fiat. I would go on would, there to yep. promote the product and leave. Uh, and I wouldn't do a deal with those, those guys. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're our sharks. Right. So. Yep. Yeah. No, it's like, uh, I mean, he, with uh, Kevin O'Leary, when he was at the conference, you know, he comes out and like, I'm, I, the words he said were, you know, with Bitcoin, crypto and blockchain. And I was like, Oh, Oh God. Like, you know, it's just, it's just amazing yeah. that they don't get it. Like they just, Funny they, is, uh, they benefit funny thing from is, the fiat, so. as a Canadian, I grew up watching Dragon's Den, which is a precursor to Shark Tank. It was Kevin O'Leary's baby. Uh, it's Shark Tank just for Canadians. Yeah. It, it happened years before Shark Tank. So I, I really got to love Kevin O'Leary. Like I, I really, I really do admire that guy. He's influenced me a lot um, in terms of just, I always loved his blatant, uh, just tell the, you know, he'd speak his mind, no matter yeah. if he's right or wrong, he'd just speak his mind about someone's idea. And, and he says it like it is like says yeah, it like it what... is and he helped so many people out not pursuing bad ideas and i think he deserves a lot of credit for that um but he certainly turned into some hell of a shit coiner 
uh, when it comes to Bitcoin. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, un it's unfortunate to see that, but I still love that guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, um, I mean that, you know, like you, you kill your hero, you know, you slay your heroes and, um, like Preston and I had a conversation about that cause we're both from Pittsburgh and Mark Cuban's from Pittsburgh. And so we were always like kind of proud of, you know, like, Oh, that's our, you know, that's our Pittsburgher out there, you know, like making a big difference in the world. And, and then, um, and we talked about it. We were like, it's kind of a shame, you know, you just, you, you see him. And then it was funny, like two weeks later is whenever Preston had that space to see if Mark would come on. And it just like, that was like huge. And, and it just ended up becoming a, I don't think it ended up becoming the debate that it should have been, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Cause other people got involved. Let's just say um, other people that like to make splashy statements. Um, but uh, okay. So a couple of things I wanted to ask you about uh so we've seen the Texas grid situation the like just yesterday. And mm -hmm. I mean, I see you on Twitter with lots of opinions about these types of things. Yeah, um, trolling. Yeah. And so I want you to explain to other people because like I, I kind of got it, but my brother-in-law actually, who's he's um, he, he's an engineer. I forget. I think he's electrical engineer. Um, and he works out in like Northern Jersey um, where they, you know, have like, the, they're basically working with New York city's grid. And we are talking about all that kind of stuff. And he's in, you know, he's into Bitcoin a little bit. And we are talking about the mining, yada, yada. Um, we are talking about the electricity and like the load management. And he was basically explaining to me, he's like that TV we're watching. And we were watching the Stanley cup final. He goes like, like we're watching the game on here right now. And he's like, those electrons are traveling at the speed of light. Like it's not getting stored anywhere. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that, that really helped me understand. So I guess explain to people what happened and why you think, you know, the Texas grid situation here is a great example as to why Bitcoin mining helps uh, future uh, electrical problems. <laughs> well, there's a lot to that because uh, it's great and it, and what's going on in Texas isn't great either. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I've been critical of some of the stuff going on in Texas uh, from a constructive point of view. Um, uh, so Texas, uh, you know, obviously there's been a huge population influx into Texas. It just seems like an amazing place to live. I've been down there a few times. Incredible people, incredible economy. Uh, it just seems an amazing place to start a business. You've had all this influx from California and elsewhere going there in Austin and elsewhere. So they, Texas is seeing unprecedented demand on the grid. Their housing market has been booming. There's just been more and more load going up. Um, but they've made the really dumb decision. And this is where I end up arguing a lot online with people. Um, but they, they've been way over-invested in wind power, uh, number one, and solar power. Um, and it's true that they have abundant wind and, and solar and solar is actually a really good application in Texas. But the fact, none of that changes the fact that it's terrible uh, baseload generation. It's just crap. And it's not what you build grids. You don't, you don't build, you don't build out a grid built on wind or solar. And we're seeing that all over the world where everyone switches to wind and solar, how much problems they're having and their, you know, net average energy pricing is going up and up. So that's the problem with Texas, number one, is they've overinvested in unreliable power. 
Uh, they have all this wind power out in Western Texas, but most of the demand is in central Eastern Texas. Mm -hmm. You have insane transmission losses in that power as well. That's just energy loss to heat through getting it from the source to the sink. Um, so on the topic of Bitcoin mining in Texas, uh, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of nuance here. It's, it's overall a net, a net good for sure. There's no doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you've had so many people flock to Texas more than anywhere else. If, if anything, it's been such a huge narrative over the last two years. And I think that's all coming to a head now because you have an insane amount of demand trying to get into that market. They've had an insane amount of applications to get big power purchase agreements on the grid. Like, like for every one they approve, there's like, you know, a dozen they reject or more. Um, so just that demand is, is already, you'd have to think, you know, it's not, it's not going to be the greatest opportunity once all that gets set up because you're going to be in deep competition uh, locally. Um, but there's, there's a lot to unpack here because a lot of people are talking about, you know, Bitcoin mining is a great way to, uh, this is something you'll see commonly, which is completely wrong, but it, they'll say it's good for renewables. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely not good for renewables. It doesn't do anything for renewables aside from in terms of promoting new renewables. All it does is it takes away the sum of the curtailed energy produced by renewables. Um, I actually wrote two articles on that. So like uh, I talk about that whole LARP that it doesn't really fix renewables. Renewables, the problem with renewables, and I'm specifically talking about wind and solar, is they're unreliable and Bitcoin doesn't fix unreliable generation. Mm -hmm. um, what it does do is all the overbuilt capacity that Texas has done with wind and solar, because you have to overbuild wind and solar to have any chance of the whole that those those firms those wind and solar firms being useful you have to overbuild it so uh bitcoin does uh, buy some of the uh energy that they produce that's normally curtailed in times where demand is low bitcoin mm -hmm. will eat it, eat it up but it doesn't really incentivize new gener new new wind and solar generation because new new wind and solar generation is a terrible idea mm -hmm. uh, as they're seeing in texas like this week they're, they've approached like having to shut, uh, having like strategic brownouts or blackouts. Um, all the Bitcoin miners, all the major ones have had to shut off all their mines to give the, their, what, their consumption to the rest of the grid. And unfortunately, I mean, they're trying to, they're all really working hard to promote it as Bitcoin miners are good for the grid. But I think what's going to happen over time is people are going to see it differently. They're going to see, um, it as competing with their own usage of energy, just the general population. They're not going to mm -hmm. know the nuance and they're going to, it's going to be the anti-Bitcoiners or the fiat maxis who I call them are going to promote, you know, say that it's a net, you know, more carbon produced, which they're going to say that's bad. And they're going to say, you know, they're driving up prices and they might not be, they might actually be driving down prices because of their allowing, uh, these generation generating stations to sell more power, mm -hmm. but that doesn't, the reality doesn't have to be the narrative. That's, that's what we've seen across the board in like, in, I always, I always related life. to oil and gas in life. And I always related to oil and gas because, uh, it's very, all this, all, a lot of the narratives are completely subjective and false. And, uh, 
in not close to reality, but in reality, the public doesn't care. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just whatever the story is told the loudest and the broadest. Is what they yeah. Care about. Yeah. That was eye opening for me as a, I mean, it's funny that Bitcoin has done this to me, but you know, one of the things it did was open my eyes to, I think this, the, the farce that CO2 emissions are bad. Um, you know, because, and I, the people will roll their eyes, but it's of all people. Um, uh, when I heard Alex Jones talking about fossil fuels on Joe Rogan, and he was talking about like, well, you know, like the plants were bigger uh, when the dinosaurs were around. It was their own, like they produced the CO2. Blah, blah, and I, you know, I just never thought about it that way. And I was like, wait a minute. So CO2 is what helps plants grow. Yeah. And we're trying to limit that. And all of a sudden the idea, it, it just started to make sense to me. I was like, oh, they want, you know, because humans are carbon beings. We're made of carbon and they want carbon neutral or carbon neg negative. And I was like, oh, we are the carbon they want to reduce. It's it's not. Yeah, which was the title of the panel I was on in Miami, actually. Oh, is that we what are, it was? We are, we are the carbon they want to reduce. Yeah. No, that's, that's hilarious. So that's the big scam. Like, that's the thing that many people know, but very few people will talk about because uh, it's borderline taboo to talk about it now. Um, is that carbon accounting is the scam. Like there's nothing wrong, like carbon itself, it's, it's sort of set up to be a, a bias and subjective tax on fossil fuels, which are the most profitable resource and in industry on the planet. Nothing, I mean, there's no industry that when, when the prices are good, makes more money than the oil and gas industry, like mm -hmm. in terms of, and in terms of feeding families and jobs, and it's unreal. Like I've been through, uh, personally in my professional career, one major bull run in the oil and gas market, and you will not see any other industry generate that wealth that you see in that in those markets. Um, so the carbon thing is a scam uh, through and through. It's it's uh, it's a cult as well. Yeah. Uh, it's like, cause the thing is, and I think a lot of people made a lot of mistakes over the years where like, I'm very much anti uh, carbon accounting. I'm anti ESG. I'm anti uh, using carbon as a, as a qualifier for what we should be doing in, in, in business and in life. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very against it. Um, but you can argue against it without going to the place where you sort of get ignored. And that's like, talking about like being a climate change denier mm -hmm. right as soon as you deny climate change in this day and age you're just going to get ignored like doesn't matter what points you make and you don't have to deny climate change that's the thing and that's where that's one mistake i see a lot of people who are criticizing this uh carbon movement and uh, esg movement etc and everything related to it one mistake they make is to just they're they're they start with denying climate change and that's, that's uh, I think, the wrong path to go because you immediately get ignored. And you might actually be right. You might be wrong. I mean, I don't know the actual truth of how uh, impactful humanity itself has been on climate change. I, I Obviously, we've had some impact. Like, you, we're terraforming the land. Mm -hmm. We're cutting forests down. We're doing all kinds of things. We're overfishing, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we have some impact on the climate. So, like, that shouldn't even be debated. Uh so that's one problem I see is people uh, denying it. Instead, you just you should we should just be talking about 
what's actually matters and and carbon doesn't matter as much as resource waste matters like mm -hmm. so you know back in the day they they you know uh well for example there was that i saw that document i, I like to use this example but shark fin soup you know line long line fishing uh shark fin soup is a delicacy in asia they go get these uh sharks and and on the boat cut their fins off waste the rest of the carcass but they also kill like hundreds of other animals in the process mm -hmm. it's very controversial those are the things that humanity could all be working towards stopping is that and that's called i just call that resource waste you're wasting resources mm -hmm. in my industry where we promote bitcoin mining for methane reduction uh, so venting, so venting natural gas, mm -hmm. which is a natural part of oil production, uh, we can help reduce methane emissions reduction and therefore carbon emissions reduction. And we do, of course, because our customers are concerned about carbon. So we do promote that we're reducing your carbon footprint. But that's not the first thing we promote. The first thing we promote is we're going to help you make more oil. We're going to uh, help you conserve more of the energy that's in the ground by not mm -hmm. wasting it. That's the two things that actually matter. The car, the emissions footprint is like minor compared mm -hmm. to that. So we don't go out and only talk about carbon emissions, even though that's what the market wants to hear. It's like, we're conserving the resource with you. We're helping you produce more of the resource for you your own profits and, and the, the community's well-being and job creation and whatnot. So, Unfortunately, yeah, the world, the carbon, there's a huge, there's, I just call it the carbon cult where there's, there's a cult out there and it's, it's very difficult uh, to navigate. But as you started like carbon, carbon's not even a measure of pollution. That's the, that's the fucked up thing. Like it's the, every human being, myself included, and everyone in the oil patch and the coal industry, the, the people that are considered the evil people, like generating fossil fuels, we all care about not wasting stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like we're no different than the greenest environmentalist uh, at Greenpeace. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to waste anything. Uh, the difference is we just realize that uh, we understand that fossil fuels are actually a foundational aspect of our society and civilization. Mm -hmm. So we want to go promote and do that as efficiently as possible. Um, and, and so what I'm hoping, like my, my narrative has always been, uh, I, I ridicule and mock the carbon cultists and I, I promote, um, uh, I just promote like, you know, we should be concerned about resource efficiency. Number one, that should be mm -hmm. using what we have efficiently. Is and not one. wasting, eliminating all waste. waste. Yeah. 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 Okay. That That's great. Uh, and I kind of, I couldn't agree with that more because, um, you know, it kind of, if you're maximizing your, your resources, you're definitely minimizing the, the, all the other problems that it causes. Um, okay. So last question I have for you, um, cause I know we got to run, but, uh, I've seen you mention this before. So what happens in 2140 when there are no more, uh, Bitcoin, new Bitcoin to be minted and Bitcoin miners are no longer getting a block reward. I mean, there is a reward for transaction fees. So I guess, yeah. or, but like, would it be the subsidy that you're not getting anymore once the Bitcoin have capped? Anyways, everybody knows what I'm talking about. So what happens then? Because I, I've seen you have some opinions on that. Uh, the short answer is nothing. Literally nothing happens. Like, in fact, I mean, uh, there's a lot of layers to that 
uh, topic. So like at high level, you get a lot of questions from newbies to Bitcoin. Well, what happens when all the Bitcoins run out? Like the new mine Bitcoins run out. Well, the answer is nothing. Like mining doesn't end. It goes on forever because it mines. Miners are looking for transaction fees. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you... it transitions from new Bitcoin. You start with zero network and zero transactions and all new coins. And over time, it exponentially drops in new coins to fees, fee market. Mm -hmm. People competing for block space, sending Bitcoin transactions, paying fees to get them sent and confirmed by miners. And the miners then, of course, absorb or uh, earn that fee and that pays for their energy use, and et cetera. So that, that transition is already happening. We're down to 6.25 Bitcoin per block. We're going down to six point or 3.125 coins in two years from now. Mm -hmm. uh, fees are only averaging like maybe 0.2 Bitcoin per block or something small or per day. I can't remember what it is. Per block, I think. Um, yeah, that's yeah I think right. it's per block. And or so, not 0.2, but it's like, I think, like 0.02 or something like that. Yeah, I forget what it is, to be honest, right now. Um, I'm just going off it, of what I see on Slush Pool. So, yeah. I have a chart, actually, of what it is, but I don't have it open right now. But the but it is going up. It's yeah. transitioning up. And uh, that conversation is interesting because you could have a whole podcast talking about how, what happens, if, what, what happens, what doesn't happen. And all the people concerned about, you know, fee market and what happens when you're on a pure fee market. And there's a whole group of people uh, that believe or are worried about and are fudding and are uh, trying to scare people about Bitcoin becoming unstable and unusable on a fee mm -hmm. market. And that a subsidy, like new coins, like call it in the inflation rate of Bitcoin needs to be permanent. And that's an interesting debate. Uh, Interesting, but I think it's very much settled already. But uh, of course, there's going to be people continuing to just question, but as they should. But uh, yeah, the, the short answer is nothing happens. Uh, mining goes on forever. Mm -hmm. It'll never end. In fact, like Bitcoin would have to die in some very catastrophic way for mining to stop. Like it'll, it'll literally never end because even at this point, it'll just carry on as a meme. <laughs> Yeah. Like, even if it doesn't grow, if it shrinks, it'll just become a meme and people will still be mining because you'll never stop blocks from being found. They'll, they'll be found constantly forever. There will be value in, in finding that. And um, so you think it would be more like uh, like big banks once it's a, let's just say 2140s here and you have layer two, layer three, all these things on top, like base chain transactions are going to be much bigger like movements because it's going to be like settlements between banks kind of and like so fees will be pretty high like you'll, you'll be getting in fiat terms pretty significant revenue yeah i mean yeah there there's a lot of just the whole like concern about the fee market is whether or not the fees sustain mining and honest mining so people not like attacking the network and that's an interesting uh, discussion but uh but generally yeah like we've seen uh, Bitcoin fees have steadily grown in Bitcoin terms, like the amount of Bitcoin uh, average fees per block. Mm -hmm. Although people are worried that it's not high enough for some reason, which makes no sense. But um, from the value perspective, I'm pure, pure, I'm not just like unit value of like how many Bitcoin per block, but actually what's the value of that Bitcoin per block and fees that's gone like effectively exponential growth mm -hmm. and it's showing no signs of stopping. So 
there's a lot of reasons to believe, at least in my opinion, that the entire thing is fully self-regulating and there's no, there's no concern for, for instability or anything uh, in the future. And that's personally how I'm investing my, my, I'm investing my business towards Bitcoin only. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'm Bitcoin only. Um, I'm a, I'm a maximalist in that sense. Uh, so I, I have zero concerns over it. Um, so at yeah. least my actions speak louder than anything else I would say. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's reassuring. Cause I generally feel the same way, but, uh, you know, then you start seeing people pipe up the other way and you know, it, it, uh, it'll, it's all going to work out. Um, we just have to keep fighting for it and make sure it goes in the right direction. But, uh, you know, yeah, I think it's pretty much settled at this point. And, you know, it'd be an interesting, maybe, maybe someday off to get like you and you know, like I do a panel with a couple of people and just have a huge conversation about what happens in 2140. Um, but, uh, we'll leave that for another It's time. not going to be like, the thing is though, it's, it's going to, whatever happens, say something happens, like, mm-hmm. like what happens in 2140? Well, it's not going to happen in 2140. It would happen way before that. Yeah. Because for the last several eras of block, you know, for every four years, call it an era or whatever for of us of a block, uh, reward, it's going to happen way sooner. The block reward drops be- below the current average fee level within like 12 years from now. Wow. So it's actually going to happen within, you could say 20 to 30 years. It's going to happen well within our lifetimes. Like the fee market becoming the dominant market. Interesting. So, so we don't have to, luckily we don't have to wait that long. We're going to find out, you know, it might take a few more decades or it might be sooner. It's hard to say. Cool. Well, that's, that's a podcast in and of itself because that's a huge topic, but I wanted to at least get your opinion on it. So I appreciate the, and I appreciate your time for coming on. Um, tell people where they can check you out and uh, you know, and learn more about your hash huts and your, your, cause I, I, ever since I announced, I started doing Bitcoin. I had like hundreds of people message me and say, I, I, I want to hear more of your updates. So like it's, I'm kind of making this a Bitcoin mining podcast. I'm not trying to just be Bitcoin mining, but I, I know there's a lot of people that are probably listening and interested in mining. So where can they uh, learn more about you guys? Yeah. Uh, well, my company's called upstream data. Uh, we basically build Bitcoin mines for every application. So uh, we don't do every kind of tech though. We don't do like immersion. Uh, we just do air cooled and we're coming out with water cooled right away, mm. but we do it at every scale, like whether it's home mining or massive mega mines. So in that sense, any listener who cares about mining, we'd have something for them. So that's good news. Uh, but we're uh, we're a Canadian company, so our website's uh, www.upstreamdata.ca. And personally, you can find me uh, shit posting all the time on mm-hmm. Twitter. Uh, I'm at sgbarber, b-a-r-b-o-u-r, and our company is uh, Upstream Data Inc. on Twitter as well. Awesome. Well, Steve, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. Yeah. Anytime. Let me know. Thank you. Thanks again to Steve for coming on. And thanks again to Shift Crypto and their Bitbox O2 hardware wallet for sponsoring the show. I will talk to you guys next time.